welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 29 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 6th of December 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, Nothing But the Blood, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness, show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, for this wonderful privilege that we have to be in your house today. Thank you, Lord, that... We have your word that we've just read from and that we have your spirit within us to quicken this word and to make it alive into our hearts. Father, we thank you for each one that has, Lord, been able to come out this day. We pray, Lord, that as we gather together here that, Lord, your hand of blessing would be upon each one, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. May each one know that they've been spoken to from above and not just from the lips of man. Father, you know the needs of each heart here today. We just pray that your work would be done and accomplished in each one that will bring glory and honor to you alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 7 again says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. As we continue this morning in our series of sermons on contending for the faith, this, the 29th sermon in that series, we're looking at another of what we would consider to be the fundamentals of, of the Christian faith, this faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. As we have looked at these fundamentals thus far, we have looked at the inspired Word of God, the very basis of our faith. We have looked at the eternal existence of a triune God. And then we've looked at a number of sermons concerning Jesus Christ our Lord, His virgin birth, His vicarious death, his victorious resurrection, and his visible return. We turn to another of these fundamentals today and I've simply entitled it, Nothing But the Blood. How can blood cleanse sin? The preacher was speaking from the text that we've read here this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Suddenly he was 
interrupted because there happened to be an atheist in the crowd that he was speaking to that didn't believe in God, and he spoke up and said, how can blood cleanse sin? For a moment, the preacher was silent. Then he looked at the man and he said, well, answer me this. How can water quench thirst? The man said, I don't know, but I know that it does. The preacher said, neither do I know how the blood of Jesus cleanses sin, but I know for a fact that it does. There's a legend about the great reformer Martin Luther that during a very serious illness that he had and he lay in his sick room in his bed and the evil one, old Satan himself, came to visit him. He came and he looked at him and he had this great big triumphant smile on his face. He began to under, unroll this great big long scroll before him. He threw one end on the floor and it began to unwind and it just kept rolling and rolling. Luther's eyes began to read the long, horrible, fearful record of all of his sins, one by one. Even the stout heart of this great reformer that had stood against his own church his heart began to quell before this ghastly roll that lay before him. But suddenly, it flashed into Luther's mind that there was one thing missing that wasn't written there. He cried aloud to Satan, One thing you've forgotten. The rest is all true. But one thing you've forgotten. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And of course, as he spoke those words, the great accuser of the brethren himself could do nothing but take his role and disappear. You know, it's an interesting subject. In the New Testament, there's said to be something like 290 references to the love of God. 290 times when God's love is declared for man. But in the same chapters and verses, it said that there's more than 1,300 references to the atonement. More than 1,300 times that man is assured that salvation can be had through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we find that the blood is one thing that sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world. A great parliament of religions was held in Chicago many years ago, and it was a coming together of practically every religion in the world. During one of the sessions, Dr. Joseph Cook of Boston, he suddenly rose and he asked this question. He said, gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with a great sorrow. Bloodstains are on her hands, and Nothing she has tried will remove them. It's the blood of murder. She's been driven to desperation and distress. Is there anything in any of your religions that will remove that sin and give her peace? It was said that a great hush fell across the gathering. No one had any reply. The preacher then looked his eyes heavenward and he cried out these words. He said, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of this awful sin? He said that the great preacher just waited in silence as if he was listening for a reply. 
Then suddenly he cried, listen, John speaks. John chapter 1, verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Not a soul broke the silence. The representatives of all the Eastern religions and the Western cults, they, they all sat dumbfounded in the face of human need. It's the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ alone that could meet the need of man. The sin of everyone demanded the blood. Of Calvary. You see, today people feel uncomfortable. They feel uncomfortable singing about the blood, and they feel uncomfortable with people preaching about the blood, and they think, well, what are these people going to think if they come in and they hear us singing and talking about this bloody religion? Well, may I say that in a day, when so many are offended by what they may see as a bloody religion, when some denominations have gone so far as to rewrite their hymn books to remove the hymns that sing about the blood, when the market has been flooded by many new translations of God's Word that time after time after time remove that word blood from the Word of God. When so many stand gladly and preach about the influence of Jesus in our lives, some would even go as far as to proclaim His death while at the same time removing the necessity of the blood. I say to you this morning that it's a day when we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. As we saw a faith in its fullness, including the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day when we just sing aloud hymns like, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, is Bible-believing Christians, nothing, nothing can remove, nothing can replace, nothing can refute the blood of Jesus Christ from the faith that we hold dear. Remove the blood from your physical body and guess what you have? Anybody care to guess? <laughs> A dead body, right? <laughs> By the same token, Rest most assuredly that if you remove the blood from the Christian faith, folks, all you're going to have left is a dead faith. A dead faith. Why? Why nothing but the blood? Why is the blood so fundamental that to remove that from the foundation of our faith, leaves us with a dead faith. You cannot hold to the true Christian faith without the blood of Jesus Christ being a part of that. Why? Because first of all this morning, it is the blood that equates to life. The blood to be considered as an equivalent to something, to reduce something to the same level you see, it is the blood that equates to physical life. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 4, the Word of God says, But flesh 
with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Flesh that still has the life, which still has the blood, which is equated to that life, shall ye not eat. In Leviticus chapter 17, notice in the Word of God, beginning in verse 10, he says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. Listen, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Is that hard to understand? God is so simple and straightforward. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I say unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all flesh." The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore, because of that, I say unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. God goes to great detail to make sure that we understand that the blood equates the life. It is the blood that is the life thereof of all flesh, he says clearly. And it is for that specific reason that many of the prohibitions of even not just human flesh, but all flesh, even the flesh of animals. That's why that even to this day, we find that it is part of the Jewish religion that they eat kosher foods. We find that there were prohibitions that were placed there because of this underlying truth that the life was in the blood. And therefore, they would eat no meat whatsoever that still retained any of that blood within the meat. Well, the Scriptures leave no doubt, and common sense will tell you <laughs> that blood equates to physical life. Physical life cannot exist without the blood. But may I say to you just as assuredly that blood equates to spiritual life as well. Jesus himself equates believing on him with eating his flesh and drinking his blood as the only means of eternal life. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, the Gospel of John chapter 6 we find that as this chapter begins, we read about Jesus and the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We find that as we read on following that, we find recorded that following that feeding of the 5,000, plus women and children, by the way, we find that, of course, as the crowds began to throng Jesus, he went off on his own to have his own quiet prayer time. And in return, his apostles went into the boat to cross the sea, and of course, Jesus hadn't returned. And it was there during the night that they found themselves on that sea, and the, the storm blew in, and the waves were there. And who comes walking on the water but Jesus Christ himself? We just looked in a recent Wednesday night at the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, and of course, Peter as well. But if you would, it was following that. The next morning that we want to pick up here, and in John chapter 6, notice what it says beginning in verse 22. 
the day following, the day following the feeding of the 5,000, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none of the boat there save the one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, and after that the Lord had given thanks. The people thereof saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples. They also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them, and of course, as blunt as ever, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You're not following me because of the great miracles that I performed. You're following me because I filled your tummy for you. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. He said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee, what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and give us life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man 
Give us his flesh to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now, they had physical life, didn't they? He's speaking here of spiritual life. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Again, what did he say there in verse 53? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now, folks, I read all of these verses because I didn't want you to even begin to get an idea. First of all, it's from misinterpretation of scriptures many times that false doctrines come about. And of course, there are those that would teach transubstantiation when they come around the Lord's table as we will be doing here shortly. They believe that this wafer and this cup must turn actually into the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that it was a non-understanding world on the outside that thought these guys were teaching some kind of cannibalism in the early days. But of course we see that Jesus is comparing physical life and spiritual life. And he makes it very clear, just as he says in one place that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood, he says just as clearly that that is putting our faith and trust in him, believing on him upon his finished work. We find that Jesus is making it very clear that there is only one way. Your physical life is based upon blood in your physical body, but your spiritual life is based upon the blood of Christ being within you spiritually. Now, you know, Judas was the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't he? He wasn't exactly, we could say, the, the most spiritual illustration of the apostles. And yet, Judas understood this. Matter of fact, we find after he did his horrible deed, notice what the Bible records in Matthew chapter 27, it says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with them the, bought with them the 30 pieces of silver, the potter's field, to bury strangers in, wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Judas had absolutely no doubt 
that his part in taking the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was a sin against the blood. Even the chief priest, they understood that. They couldn't take that blood money and put it back into the treasury, the field that they bought, the potter's field. It's called a field of blood because it was bought with blood money. You know, Pilate himself understood this. Notice in the same chapter over in verse 24 and 25, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You see, there is no question, folks. Nothing but the blood is foundational to our Christian faith because the blood equates to life. But not only does the blood equate to life, it is the blood, Brother Steve, that effectuates sacrifice. What does it mean to effectuate? Well, it means to make something effectual, possessing or exercising Adequate power to produce a designed effect, to be completely efficient, to be efficacious. When we speak sometimes in describing and use the term the efficacious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we're speaking of a sacrifice that was effectual, that was effective to accomplish that which it was designed to do. The sacrifice simply is not effectual without the blood. It is the blood that effectuate the sacrifice to make it completely efficient for what it is meant. Therefore, when people try to stand and say even that it was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us our atonement, I'm saying to you that if we look scripturally, which we will do here, that the sacrifice is not effectual, it's not efficacious unless the blood is there. You see, notice back in the Old Testament, first of all in the book of Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. And if we look here quickly, notice what it says in chapter 24 verses 4 to 8. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. You see, for the sacrifice to be effective, Moses had to take the blood and the blood had to be applied to the altar and the blood had to be applied to the people. That's the only thing that made the sacrifice effective. If they had killed those animals and yet had just left the blood, then that sacrifice would not have been effective. It would not have been effectual for what it was meant for. Notice just a few pages back in your Bible in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, he says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to in his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall, turn, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now I want you to notice... All of this, all of this sacrificing had to be done in a specific way. From the preparation of the lamb that was to be there, to the way that the lamb had to be slaughtered, to all the preparations and the way that it was prepared and used. But notice this. He says in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Yes, everything was important about the sacrifice, about the way it was prepared and all of those things. But folks, it wasn't effectual. It wasn't effective unless the blood was applied to those doorposts. It was when he saw the blood that he promised to pass over that that death angel would not enter into that home. That sacrifice with everything about it that was necessary in his preparation and the ritual and the way that it was given, it was all important, folks, but... Without the application of the blood, it was not effectual. We could read many other places whereby that it was the blood that actually made the sacrifice effectual. In fact, whether it was a sin offering or a trespass offering or a burnt offering or a peace offering, it was the blood that effectuated the sacrifice. We find that as we look into the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, as we often call it. In Hebrews chapter 11, referring back to what we just read about in Exodus, notice what it says in verse 28. It says, through faith, speaking of Moses, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them by faith. That blood was applied. And that's what made the sacrifice effectual. Why is the blood so foundational, so fundamental to our faith? Because, folks, the blood equates to life. And it's the blood that effectuates the sacrifice. And I want to give you this one, and then we'll come back to it tonight. It is the blood that establishes the covenant, to establish something, to put something into effect, usually speaking of putting into effect permanently, to ordain something as we do laws. You see, even in our society, we recognize that a person's last will and testament, that covenant is only established and put into effect at one's death. We see that in scriptural matters, it is the death that is necessary, the scripture declares to us, for God's covenant with man to be established. But more than just any death, precisely the shedding of blood that establishes that covenant we just saw. Back in Exodus chapter 24, we saw there in verse 8, the last verse that we read there, that it was the blood that established that covenant. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words, 
God's promises, God's covenant there with his chosen people, the nation of Israel, this old covenant with Israel, Moses was making it clear that the blood that he sprinkled, that was establishing the sacrifice, the blood of the covenant. We see just as surely that it's the blood that establishes the new covenant with God's children, the church in the New Testament. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus speaks of his blood as being the blood that establishes the New Testament or the new covenant. In Matthew chapter 26, notice in verses 26 to 29, he says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink ye all of it. Notice verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink his forth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you, my Father's kingdom. Again, folks, Jesus doesn't make any bones. Yes, he calls it the blood of the New Testament. But he makes no bones that is still the fruit of the vine, which he will drink with them again. But as we take of that fruit of the vine this morning, it is symbolic of the blood that seals the new covenant, just as it was blood that sealed the old covenant. We find that the book of Hebrews chapter 9, and of course as we look there, and I think that we're going to leave some of that to come back to and pick up on this evening because it's very important. It's very important as we read and understand just how important that not just any blood, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ establishes that covenant. You see, the blood established the old covenant with God's chosen, the nation of Israel. The blood establishes the new covenant with God's children, the church. The covenant established by the blood is a covenant that is forever established. Notice in Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance, one that will last forever. Many times people down here will get an inheritance and they just waste it away and it's gone. But God's giving us an inheritance that will last forever. Just a few pages over in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 20, he says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, listen, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. It's through the blood, the covenant that is established by the blood. It is established forever. It is established eternally. And the covenant that is established by the blood, folks, it needs to be taken seriously. You know, the new covenant is your only hope today. It's our only hope. The covenant, while giving us an eternal promise, though, also carries with it great responsibility for every human being. Jesus made it very clear that the way spiritually in order to take of his blood was to believe on him that God had sent our faith and trust. It was by faith that this blood was applied. And it's by faith today that you must accept the blood that was shed on Calvary's tree for your sins, the everlasting covenant, the one that gives us an eternal inheritance. Folks, it's not to be taken lightly because we're talking about 
the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some say that's not important. I say that our faith cannot stand without it. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice in speaking of this table that we come around this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, says the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of the devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? And of course, over in chapter 11, we read this most times when we come around the Lord's table. In chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, he says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Folks, it's not to be taken lightly. And even that which we do today in coming around the Lord's table, it is a serious matter. It should be a time of tremendous peace and fellowship for the child of God. But you see, this bread and this cup cannot bring that to you. It is to put us in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to help us to remember and to focus on what Christ has done for us. Today it's sin that breaks that fellowship. And to play around with sin in your life and then just to take of this bread and to drink of this cup, he makes it very clear. You're guilty. You're guilty of taking lightly the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did when He died for us and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. You're guilty of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the blood is foundational to all that we believe. That's why that He goes on here and He tells us, you know, the warning of not to be guilty. How do we not do that? He says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. You know, there's nobody in the world that wants you to feel closer to the Lord today than the Lord Himself. Oh, He wants you so near. He wants you to know that He's right there. He wants you to feel His loving arms as He wraps them around you, to know that He's that close to you. And that's why that as we come around this table, and this very table that we do time and time again as His church, as one of the two ordinances that He's given us as a church to remember Him, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, to testify to those around us. You see, He tells us that when we do this, that it's a testimony to those around us of what we're doing. We do it until the Lord Himself. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Well, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing but the blood, nothing can take the place 
of the blood. And as we come to remember this morning, you see, keep this in mind, it's both important. Jesus, as a helping his father in the carpenter's shop, just as much the Son of God, just as much God as ever, the Romani, if he cut his finger and bled while he was doing a job there, that would not have saved the world because his blood was shed in that carpentry shop. You see, we remember the body and the blood. It was important that he sacrifice himself. It was important that he die. The wages of sin is death. He had to die, folks. But in dying, he had to shed his blood. If he had died a natural cause, if he had died because they just put a rope around his neck and hung him, that wouldn't have saved the sins of the world because it takes the blood to effectuate the sacrifice, to make it effective. And so today we come around the Lord's table once again remembering his body that was broken. He sacrificially died and went through all that he went through for us. But remembering the blood that was shed because one was no good without the other, the blood equates to life. The blood effectuates the sacrifice and makes it accomplish that which is being given for. It is the blood that establishes the covenant, that new covenant, the hope and the promise that you have today is because it's sealed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, you know the hearts of each individual here today. And Lord, as we come at this time to receive of this bread and to take of this cup, we do pray sincerely, Lord. We pray sincerely that each heart here, as each and every one of us examine ourselves, help us, Lord, to be honest. Help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. Lord, if there be any here that have never truly been born again, we pray that it might speak to them. And Lord, it's not this bread and this cup that can give them the salvation that they need, but it's putting their faith and trust, humbling themselves as a sinner, seeking that forgiveness that can only come because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for them. And Lord, for every believer, I pray that you'll help them right now in all of our imperfections, Lord, that we would examine ourselves and be honest. And if there is anything there this morning that's hindering that sweet, sweet, near fellowship that we need with you, then we pray, Lord. We pray that you would help at this time. Help us to be honest. Give us the strength, the courage that we need. Lord, it may this be a time of sweet, sweet fellowship as we join as one around this table in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you.